I'm Kimberly C. Palm. As I travel throughout each state, I realize that death is just a moment. It is how we live until that moment that matters. Finding connection with friends, family, and complete strangers. Journey with me. This is the Live Well, Die Well Tour. Well, first of all, Jennifer O'Brien, thank you for joining me on this beautiful, almost 70-degree weather in Denver, Colorado. But you're not with me. Where are you? I'm in Little Rock, Arkansas, and it's equally beautiful here today. Oh, good. Well, I have to say um, thank you for sending me your work of art called The Hospice Doctor's Widow, a journal. What a beautiful piece of artwork. Thank you. Thank you so much. It, uh, yeah, it's, um, it, it was just really an art journal that I, that I kept and it, and it turned into something. So yeah. It turned into something very beautiful. (laughs) Uh, you know, it's, it's really interesting when I start these conversations uh, about how we all became a part of this field that I love, um, called end of life or, hospice or palliative or death doula movement. Mm-hmm. And and I would be remiss if we didn't talk about the gentleman, your husband, Bob, that brought you to this field. So can you tell me a little bit about him? I abs- I would love to tell you about him. Um, so he, uh, he was um, very hardworking. He uh, had been a plastic and reconstructive surgeon for 33 years. And because of a neck injury and not being able to operate anymore um, he, without, without pain, um, he decided to retrain in hospice and palliative care. And uh, I met him shortly after the training and his first couple years of hospice and palliative care. That's when I when I met him, and um, he just he just uh, was the consummate uh, physician. I mean, he he just loved being a doctor, and he was really really good at it. And he was the kind of doctor that even when he'd get a call on the weekend, it would be, okay, how can I help? How can I get you through the weekend kind of thing instead of, well, that's not really my specialty, which some doctors do. Um, he had a great sense of humor and, um, and, uh, yeah, he was cute too. (laughs) Mm -hmm. How long were you married? Well, we got married, um, in 2012. We, we, we fell in love in 2011, spring of 2011 and, um, fell in love rather quickly and moved in together and, um, yeah. And then just, uh, ended up, we ended up actually getting married, um, at the cancer center where he worked, um, (laughs) on a Friday after work, um, with about 15 people there and including a patient who, you know, when he told her what he was doing, going downstairs to get married and she was like, can I come? Oh, that's great. Yeah, it was awesome. It was really great. Oh, I love him already. (laughs) I know he was really incredible. He was he was he was a lot of fun. So you so he was a hospice and palliative care physician, which yes. they, this 
I guess his, that title, they, they tend to really have educated me and been my, so, a lot of them, my mentors throughout the years, 20 years that I've been in hospice and, and palliative care. Here's a question for you. They say that hospice and palliative care physicians die differently than other physicians and other individuals. Do you find that true? Well, let's see. That's a good, that's a great question. I think physicians in general might die differently um, is one one speculation I have. Um, the only physician um, whose bedside I've been at when he died was Bob. So I'm not sure I have much of a control group on that. Um, but we certainly had a different we we certainly had a different journey because he was a hospice and palliative care doctor. Um, it it uh, let's talk about that journey. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because here he is a hospice and palliative care physician, and he's taking care of those who are on in the last stages or are on the last stage of life uh, of their living life. And what was it like when? your husband told you there was something going on. Yes, that's exactly how the the book started really was that um that here he had been helping patients and families you know navigate serious illness and then as serious illness turns to end of life, you know, making that transition. And now all of a sudden, and, and there were there were very specific things he did and said and talked about with his patients in order to help help them understand what was really going on, like the concept that's in the book of precious time, um, and telling them about his his own parents who had two each of them you know the father wanted only to be get comfortable from the moment first instance of disease and his mother wanted every life extending measure. And um, he would always tell the patients that story and say, you know, we honored both their wishes because the right answer is your answer. There's not, there's not a right or wrong way to do this. It's, it's your way is the right way. And so all those things that were so powerful with, with his patients now, right, were turned on us. And so I started creating these pages um, with these digital collages and somewhat artistic interpretations of those concepts, and then writing notes on top of of those um, those collages. And that and that was my art journal. So it was distinct, distinctly different because you know, we were, we were taking all that and now applying it to ourselves. It was also different in that um, he, you know, he, as I think most doctors do, um, approached uh, treatments differently, um, had a lot more insight to what potential side effects were going to mean to him. And, um, had some pretty distinct ideas, which I imagine a lot of hospice and palliative care doctors do, about how he didn't want to die, what he didn't want to die of, you know, if he could avoid it, um, meaning like bowel obstruction or those sorts of things that certain things that stood out to him as being particularly either painful or or difficult way to die. So he would always 
way certain certain complications and side effects of drugs in a way that maybe you or I wouldn't necessarily know how to do. I tried at one point as I was observing him doing that with one of the subsequent chemotherapies that 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 was presented to him. I actually put a page in the book that talks about treatment decisions because I observed kind of the, in layperson in our in our terms, you know, what he would go through when he was making those decisions and and I try and I put that in a, in in a some notes in the book as well. What what was Bob's diagnosis? So initially he found a couple of lumps in his in the left side of his neck and um and uh we watched them for a while and um uh, well I say we when I mean a, an otolaryngologist watched them <laughs> <laughs> right right <laughs> and by know, we but... I mean some doctor you know no I'm just kidding um <laughs> we we watched them for a while and then and then and then this this doctor was uncomfortable watching them anymore and said, you know, I'd like to biopsy them. And at the same time, Bob had been having a discomfort, um, abdominal discomfort that he described as what he thought was di- diverticulitis. I've never had diverticulitis, thank goodness, but I, that's what he thought it was. And so as so many physicians do when they're at their, their colleague's office um, as a patient, he said, you know, run that <laughs> run that CT on my abdomen. I'd like to see what's going on in there. And, um, and they found some lesions and, um, and kind of thought it might be a lymphoma that, that was, um, and then when the, the biopsy came back after the, they needle biopsied the neck and uh, we got a call that night that uh, while it was not lymphoma, it was something, it was a definitely a stage four and it was something, they weren't exactly sure what it was. And it turned out it was a, um, a, a renal cell carcinoma. Um, so by the time it was diagnosed, it was already throughout his abdomen and in his thoracic spine and obviously up, up in his neck. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. And he lived for 22 months following that initial diagnosis, which was certainly longer than we initially thought he was going to have. And, and, um, and, uh, and, you know, that was, that was wonderful to, to have more time than, than we thought. Well, what was the conversation between, I'm fourth stage, here you are, in love with this. I mean, you guys are a sexy couple. I mean, I have to admit, I mean, you guys are a sexy couple. I mean, your guys are in the book and you're like, oh man, that's a sexy couple. Um, but what, 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 I mean, did your heart drop? Like, oh my God, I finally found this sexy man and I fallen in love and, and there's this, what, what was going on in the conversations between you two, if you would like to share? I would. I would. I, I, I certainly that was happening. You know, I had already lost my only sibling. Um, I, when he was, when he was 13 and I was 18, he was in an accident and my mother had died of pancreatic cancer. Um, not quite 20 years after my brother died. So, um, I, I knew how much it was going to hurt. Um, I, uh, I had a lot of issues with anticipatory grief because of those experiences. Um, interestingly, Bob, who was 18 years older than I, um, had never lost anyone except his parents, who were both in their 90s when they died. He had 
he had not lost anyone to death. And, um, and so he had this very professional perspective on it. Don't get me wrong. He was as devastated as I was in terms of, um, he used to say, I'm finally happy. Bob had suffered a lot from depression in his life and, um, had really worked hard on, um, therapy and, you know, sort of getting himself together and, and, um, realigning values and things like that. And, uh, and then we fell in love. And, um, so he used to think, he used to say, I'm finally happy. I've finally found you. And now this is happening. And, um, and I certainly felt the same way. Um, I think, I think I launched a little bit more into the anticipatory grief, um, obviously because I was going to survive him and I, and I knew what that was like. So, um, initially it was, uh, it was difficult. I, one of the pages in the book, um, uh, the note on it, the, the journal note on it says, we're going through two different processes. He is dying. I am surviving. And that came just about two weeks after we got the diagnosis. He and I got into a big argument one morning and um, it was, you know, foolishness, of course. And and as I kind of went off to lick my wounds, <laughs> I thought, I thought, you know, wait a minute, I I don't want to have another this is, we're into precious time. We need no more silly arguments. I mean, we're going to have some arguments, I'm sure, but not silly ones. This is, this is crazy. But it did make me realize that while intertwined, um, they are two different processes. They have two different outcomes. You know, Bob used to always say about his patients, you know, the patient's going to be fine. He'd say, I've seen death thousands of times. It's very peaceful. It's the family that you worry about. And, um, and so just realizing that I was going to go on from his death after his death. And I wanted very much to go on, not having any more silly arguments to, to look back on. Right. I wanted to be able when he did die to go on and look back and say, no, 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 we made, we made the most of every, every, you know, everything we possibly could have in terms of, of love and affection. So, and care. So, um, so yeah, initially it was, it was rough. It was very rough. Um, but really I think that was the last silly argument that we had. Mm. That's so sweet. Yes. But, but were you a caregiver with your mom? Well, no, I, well, yes and no. My mother had to be admitted. The way that we found her diagnosis was a compression fracture um, in her lumbar spine. And so she couldn't ambulate. So she was inpatient when they actually found that she had a metastatic pancreatic cancer and um, lived for five weeks, but never got out of the bed. So, um, so yes, I went and sat with her every single day and of course advocated for her in the hospital and then in the inpatient hospice, but not caregiving like, like this was with Bob. Oh, wow. So Mm -hmm. you really didn't know the realities of caregiving prior to your husband, Bob. That's right. I did not know. I had no idea. So what inspired you to support other caregivers through this work of art? 
Um, because, you know, I, I, uh, I just have such this soft little spot um, for caregivers because a, they, they don't know the roller coaster they're about to enter, uh, the compassion fatigue, um, but they would not have it any other way. The majority of them feel this way. So, I mean, what inspired you to want to write this book to support other caregivers as well as tell you your and Bob's story? Well, honestly, I, I didn't write it to be a book. I kept it, this was, you know, this is the weirdness of it. I kept it as my journal. The book is really my journal. And what happened was when um, a couple of things happened. So I kept going with it after he died. And, and I, I would say about two thirds, maybe of the journal of the book is prior to his death. And a third are journal notes that I kept after he died. Um, and, um, and so by the, so I was probably, I don't know, it was a year and a half or so after Bob died, maybe two years. And I had it, um, I had put it into a vacation book, <laughs> I love a it. picture book uh, software thing, you know, where you put your pictures in and they send you a book. <laughs> yeah. Ex- I wanted I wanted to see what it felt like to hold it in my hand, oh, you know, instead you- of just a stack of pages. And um, You and I are so much alike. <laughs> and so... Um, so anyway, I had that and I was working, I do, a, I do a lot of my, my career has been in healthcare in the administrative and leadership business side of physician organizations. So I do a lot of interim CEOing for very large physician practices. And I was doing one such job for a really big practice here in Little Rock and a neurologist that I work with what worked with was lamenting one day that he was in the process of diagnosing um, three different patients with ALS and listening to this. And, you know, he was, he was just uh, heartbroken that he was going to have to tell these patients and their spouses. And um, so the next day I brought in my little vacation book version of, um, of my journal and I, handed it to him. And I said, you know, you might want to take a look at this. And he took it home. And the next day he came back and said, Jennifer, you're not getting your book back. Um, I'm going to loan it to these patients. Oh wow! Um, <laughs> and he said, and you need to figure out how to get that published so that it is more widely available because that thing is really helpful. He said that closes a gap between what I as the physician can do for the patient and what the family caregiver really needs to understand is is happening. Um, And uh, so that was a real, um, you know, that was an eye opener. And, um, and I tracked down. What did you think where you're like, hell yeah, (laughs) or are you, are you joking? You know, what were you feeling when he said that? I was really stunned. I, I mean, I knew I had handed the, before I made a vacation book out of it, I, um, I had a stack of pages that I had given to a good friend of mine who had just been diagnosed with a bladder cancer and he read it and had a similar reaction. Show this to my wife. She needs, she needs to know, you know, what she's in for. Um, 
And um, so, so I, I, I wasn't totally um, surprised at the, at the sort of sentiment, but I was so surprised at his, at this physician's, you know, sort of firmness about figure out how to make this available, Jennifer, because, because we need it out in the world. And so, um, you know, that, that just kind of propelled me and the next, you know, I was, I started tweaking some things, you know, considering that it was, that it might be presented to either an agent or a publisher and, uh, you know, just some things that were maybe whatever needed a little polishing. It was after all my private journal. Well, you know what, Jennifer, you, you know, even with me writing my, my book, I wanted it to, to feel like a journal and, mm-hmm. and that's what, and yours is so different from mine because it had, it, it just drew me in. Um, and you know, we have a couple of friends in common that, that, you know, rave about your book. But what's interesting to me is the design of the book. And it does feel like a personal journey, but it doesn't feel like I'm intruding on your journey. But I love the design layout. And I feel that you've opened the door to creativity even during a hard time. And how many people use creativity in in grieving. And, and so talk to me, like, how did this book, your journal, become such a beautiful work of art? <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, you know, I I was so I, I think that there were a couple things. You're absolutely right on this whole notion that creativity um, is a key element. I think of self care. Um, uh, just, it just is a key element. Um, and whether it's self-care, you know, taking a few minutes to either jot something down or create something, paint something in my case, do a digital collage, um, or whether, you know, whatever it is, it, uh, or if it's, or if it's self-care in, in after you've lost someone and you're, and you're grieving, um, for me, one of the keys was that I was teaching myself how to do the digital collage. So there was a real balance between head work and heart work. You know, oh, I, I knew point. what I, right. I knew what I wanted to do and then was sometimes having trouble making the machine <laughs> do it. So there, so there was this nice, you know, there was this nice balance of, of head and heart in the whole thing. Um, and, uh, that really helped me a lot. That's an important element for my self-care. Um, I will say though, that, that really the pages are the pages The I mean, I didn't, I didn't do anything. I wonder if maybe what you're in terms of the, the design, I, I wish I could tell you it was on purpose. It, it isn't. It wasn't. <laughs> I, <love laughs> I guess it. is what I'm saying. I love it. Um, but you yeah, know I, I, what? I, now I do think that the woman who designed, Amy Ashford designed the cover. And I do think that was a, was a beautiful piece of design work that, that she, and the, I don't, the cover is basically um, really narrow strips from the different pages in the book. Oh, uh, all wow. lined up together. Yeah. And that I think was was just this stunning um observation on her part of how the inside of the book really needed to come out, you know, to the cover. That's amazing. Yeah. 
yeah, it's a, it's a, it really is a beautiful cover. It, I, I, it is. And you know, <laughs> I wish I could take credit for it. <laughs> well, you know, what kept coming to my mind as I kind of pan through your book is the, the space that it allowed me to, to feel and feel some of my own grief of people I've lost. But I kept thinking of this one question, why I, I pay, you know, pan through your book, like, you know, do you think your husband, Bob, would have imagined that it would be you to carry out some of his legacy and caring for those who are caring for the dying? Uh, I, I don't think he anticipated that. No, I don't. I, 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 I do. So he would be surprised. I think so. Yeah, I think he would be surprised. I, I um, Or maybe I, he would be impressed. <laughs> Well, he would be, yes, he, so, so Bob was profoundly, um, he was a profound introvert and he could never have, he was very good at talking to patients and families one-on-one, but you know, that was in, in his doctor mode. But as far as, you know, speaking to people he didn't know very well, that sort of thing, he was, he was, it, it was, it was incredibly stressful for him. So, so I'm definitely, um, uh, able to sort of parlay his work out into the world in a way that I don't think he would have ever done himself. Are you surprised at some of the reaction that you are getting from? I am. I am. I'm I'm very pleasantly surprised. Yes. It, it was, it, I'm not going to lie. It was super scary to, um, to release one's very, you know, personal art journal about the saddest time in their mm-hmm. life out into the world. And, and I'd never, um, it just was really scary. And, and it was, uh, it was, there was a lot of, um, I worried a lot and I worried a lot whether Bob thought that I was, you know, what he thought, am I doing the right thing? What would he say if he were here? Um, and back then this was, you know, about a year ago when the book first came out. Um, I think he, he did not like to see me stressed and I was so stressed at that point that I, I think that um, I think he was a little mixed about whether um, you know, Jen, Jen, what are you doing? Right. Why are you putting yourself through this kind of thing? Not, not why are you sharing our story? Because he was a big believer in um, you know, sharing stories in order to help people understand that, you know, what's happening. And, um, so, but, but not too long after the book came out, it got, um, a a physician who's on faculty at Stanford. Um, he's a clinical professor of medicine, um, wrote to me and said that he said, this is a remarkable book and should be required reading for everyone facing the mortality of a loved one. And I wrote back to him, thanked him and asked him, you know, would he be comfortable if I quoted him on that? And he said, of course. And it was in that moment, you know, that another physician um, who had the, you know, who uh, had achieved um, um, a great deal in academic medicine, right, is saying to me, you did good. Mm. And and that to me was that moment that 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 doctor wrote back and said, "Yes, of course you can quote me on that." Um, his name is James Wolf, by the way, and he 
the moment that I got that email back from him, that was when I knew Bob was very supportive, right? Like that was a way that Bob could message me and say, yes, this is, this is a good deal. You did good. You know, the so. funny thing is, and I don't know if it's funny, it's just, <laughs> but, but we're talking about Bob uh-huh. and, and he's very much a part of my life as he continues to be a part of your life. And what I found with my own memoir is that, is that these people are remaining alive in my life. And I was so grateful because some of the stories were not my stories. I just was the, the storyteller of them. And so Mm -hmm. talk to me, I mean, don't you feel Bob is as much alive today um, through your book and he's still teaching um, tons and tons of people, myself being included through your journal. I really do. And, and that was, and that was probably the thing that drove me. Um, the, the, those were the two things that the, the idea that the journal would help other caregivers and patients, but especially caregivers and the idea that I would be able to continue to spread Bob's wisdom um, was, those were the two compelling things. Those were the two things that said, okay, yeah, I got to keep going. Even the days where I was like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? I love Um, it. And I I chuckle because, because it didn't stop you. And, and I, I, I hear my own voice in, in saying those things with myself, um, right. through my own journey. And I, because, you know, f- it is fear. It's vulnerable. I, I mean, I was at a dinner party and someone's telling me about my life and I'm like, how did you know that? She goes, it's in your book. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> it is. I'm like, and it's, you do spread, um, some very vulnerable things out there. But what I see your book doing by doing that is it gives other caregivers permission to express and feel what they're feeling. And I think that's so vital, this permission that we're supposed to be strong people um, all the way through. I think that your book, your work of art, does provide some permission to be human again. Yeah, yeah. What is the biggest lesson you learned as a caregiver at the bedside of Bob? Oh, the biggest, le- well, first of all, I, I was sort of surprised that I could do it. You know, I, I, I never really saw myself as i I'm not a clinical person and um, that I did it, but I think the, the biggest thing, you know, was balancing that, notion of, um, or the reality rather that, you know, it's exhausting and, and it is painful, like emotionally painful. Um, and it is, um, and it's hard. I mean, it is such hard work. Uh, there's a page in the book that talks about just sort of all the things that you do as a caregiver, um, you know, changing the sheets in the middle of the night and, because of night sweats and wrapping, wrapping swollen legs and all that sort of stuff. And then, and then when you think you, in the moment you think, oh my God, I can't do this anymore. You re, you realize what happens when you're no longer doing it. Um, you've lost the person. And, uh, and so it's just a hard, hard, um, balance to achieve that you lean into loving and caring 
knowing full well that at the end of it, um, the person you you're loving and caring for will die and, and you'll go on. Um, that's the balance I think that is the, the great plight of all caregivers. And, and the one thing I wish that people would talk about a little bit more so that, so that it isn't, it isn't stunning, you know, at the end, there's not, there's not some element of surprise um, because at the end of life comes death. I mean, even, you know, even with cancers that get cured, right? The person at the end of life will still die. Maybe not of that cancer, but however many years down the road or whatever. So, And I think I have an expiration date somewhere on my body that I can't see either. Um, Yeah. You know, it's... We all do. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And and I, I think it comes to, you know, the more I think about my own mortality, the more boldly I live today. Um, because it's mm-hmm. it's like I can't see that expiration date, but I know it is there. Um, right. To close, I, I, I would love, what do you miss most about Bob? Oh, his sense of humor. <laughs> Was it dry wit? Was it just sarcastic? Or tell me a little bit about that. No, we just did silly things together. Um, uh, <laughs> we uh, we used to say we lived in a musical and we'd sing really badly to each other. <laughs> I love it. Make up these stupid songs, but they were fun and loving and they sounded awful, but we, you know, that kind of thing. And just, well, why don't you give us a little light? No, I'm just kidding. No, 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 no. That is, that is not, that is not necessary. No, no. We'll, we'll save that for, for no, no. Well, you know, I love your laugh and I could totally see how your husband fell in love with that laugh too. Um, Wow. Tell us how, Tell my my listeners and tell everyone where can we get our hands on this this book or this work of art, this journal? Yeah, so you can visit um I mean you can get the book on all the major book outlets like Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. Um you certainly could ask for it in your local bookstore uh, and they can order it uh, because it's, it's widely available in the Ingram catalog. Um, So uh, that's it. My website is hospicedoctorswidow.com and there are links to, um, to the, the directly to the publisher to purchase it from them or, um, or the other basic, you know, national outlets. Um, there's also um, a link on my website. There's a page on the website. Um, I think it's called Art. And so there's two things on that page I'd like to point out. One is that there's a link to a gallery where you can actually purchase prints from the book um, and other art that I've done. They don't have the journal notes on the book. It's just the art. Um, sign me and- up. Will you <laughs> sign it for me? Uh, sign the print. Or yeah, the, the print. If yes, I order it. Oh, cool. I'm Son, totally I will in. sign. I will sign anything for you. That is <laughs> my pleasure. Um, but the other thing that's on that same page of my website is a complimentary art journaling prompt. It's a set of five art journaling prompts, um, that people have had a really fun time with, um, kind of getting their own, uh, 
you know, getting their own notions of what their art journals look like. Um, so that's a, that's a pretty, a pretty fun little freebie to download. I love it. Thank you so much for like being my teacher today. I've just learned so much. I think Bob is even expanded my heart a little bit, you know, it's, it's so beautiful to celebrate, uh, you guys' love and, and this work of art that you've delivered and, and thank you for underlying how creativity helped you grieve the one of the greatest loves of your life. Um, it's so beautiful. Um, and I think, and I have this little gut feeling, Jennifer, that this between us is, is a, a beautiful friendship. I feel like I'm going to know you the rest of my life. And, oh, absolutely. Um, and I just feel we're going to be doing multiple things, especially when we can come back to face-to-face. And uh, I look forward to that. But today, as I kind of grab my breath, um, thanks for sharing your story. But thanks for sharing Bob with me today. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Thanks for joining us today. And remember, you're the designer. This podcast is produced by Jason Andre with Seven Season Films. If you're interested in telling your story via podcast, look him up. You can find him at sevenseasonfilms.com.